Amen. You may be seated. I know what some of you are thinking, like with those baptismal testimonies and these songs, there's really no need, Pastor, for you to preach. But I'm going to anyway. All right. So glad you could be here with us to celebrate and recognize the greatest event in history. What a wonderful time. So exciting to hear the testimonies behind these baptisms and uh, baptisms happening at East and happening in the earlier service as well, and we just praise God for that. I don't know what your condition is today, what the condition of your life and the condition of your soul is, but I know what it can be because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've ever been to church on an Easter Sunday morning before, you probably didn't hear the pastor preach out of Acts 26, which is what I'm going to do today. If you regularly attend here at Central or at East Campus, you know we've been working our way through the book of Acts, and this is where it falls. Earlier, our sermon team had been planning back in the fall that when we got to the Easter season, we would jump out of Acts, do something different for Easter, and then get back into Acts. But we actually became excited as we saw where things were landing and the correlation we see here between Easter and Acts chapter 26. So if you have a Bible or a device or you can turn that on, you can be ready. We'll be there in a little bit. Today we will see just how central the resurrection of Jesus is to the gospel message. Paul was considered crazy for reminding Agrippa and the Jews that the death and resurrection of Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy delivered by Moses and the prophets. And that through the resurrection of Jesus, people are brought out of darkness into light, receiving the forgiveness of sins. Would you join me in prayer before we begin? Father, we just thank you for the amazing grace that we celebrate Father, we recognize you because you are God and there is no other. You are worthy of our praise and our adoration. Lord, we are extra thankful today as we think of the cross and the empty tomb. Lord, we're thankful for that grace that comes through faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished by defeating the grave. Lord, we thank you for these who were baptized and for their testimonies and for those who will be baptized at East and, and in the earlier service. We just give you praise, God, and would you just be with them and bless them, walk with them in their faith. Father, would you work in a mighty way in our midst? May your spirit just move mightily and touch each heart and life accordingly here today. We commit this time to you and we pray in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. There's a tradition of response where I say something and your response is to say he is risen indeed. I'm going to say he's risen and you say he's risen indeed. Are you ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Good job. I was going to make you repeat that if you didn't, didn't do it enthusiastically, but you did good. He is risen. Okay, I thought I'd try to trick you. All right, good. He's risen indeed. I've entitled this message, Is This Craziness? How often do you find yourself declaring something to be crazy? Maybe it's mind-blowing or something so unique or something frustrating, and you just say, wow, this is crazy. Some years ago, my wife and I had an opportunity to tour an aircraft carrier, and it was amazing to go through that. And, and I remember so many times I was thinking about the engineering of it all, and I was thinking, people land planes on this. This is like a floating runway. And I, and I remember going, this is crazy. 
Maybe you say that when you pull up to a gas pump and you see the price of a gallon of gas. You say, this is crazy, right? You ready for this? Cotton candy was invented by a dentist. (laughs) Come on. Either that's crazy or it's brilliant, (laughs) right? What a business model, right? No doubt some of you declared things to be crazy during the NCAA women's games. And you watch Caitlin and Clark hitting these amazing shots. Or, or maybe in the final game, you were seeing this count of 37 fouls and you're saying, that's crazy, right? Crazy claims. The blood vessels of an adult human could circle the equator four times if put end to end. I don't know if that's true and I don't want to be the test case, but amazing. <laughs> In 1997, three men from Yemen sued Nassau for trespassing on Mars. In 1957, at a Major League Baseball game, Richie Ashburn fouled off a ball into the stands and it smacked Alice Roth right in the face, breaking her nose. As the medics led her out of the stands, Ashburn hit another foul off the very next pitch and hit her again (laughs) in in the leg. You got to be wondering how lucky she feels at that moment. In Great Britain, a coffee taster's tongue is insured currently for $13 million. It's coffee, whatever. Anyway, the good news of Christ and the gospel around which we have gathered today has been considered to be craziness by many. We see an example of that in today's text. Now, it's important that we have some context that will help this all make sense. And and if you have not been with us, maybe this will help even more. The Apostle Paul has been going from city to city proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God that he is the one that the Old Testament prophets wrote about centuries before, that he's the only way of salvation, that by his death and his crucifixion, it was a fulfilled prophecy, and that God raised him from the dead, also fulfilling prophecy. And Jesus appeared to many witnesses. This message and the response of people to it, has Paul caught in the crosshairs between these Jewish leaders who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah and the Roman authorities who had to judge the matter and maintain control of the situation. And Paul's endured so much by this point. He's gone through so much, but he he continues to proclaim that Jesus is the only hope of salvation. Look with me now at Acts chapter 26, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time 
And if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul is before King Agrippa and and Bernice, according to the previous chapter. And and Agrippa is the grandson of the Herod who killed children trying to kill young Jesus. He lives incestuously with his full sister Bernice, who was one year younger. As Paul stands before them, he takes time to make sure that his audience knows that he is familiar with Jewish beliefs and laws. He's saying, listen, I was raised as a Pharisee. I've, been, I've lived as a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were a group formed after the, the, New Testament, or the Old Testament prophecies came to an end in that time of silence prior to the arrival of John the Baptist and more importantly, Jesus Christ. It was their job to make sure everybody followed the rules and knew what to do in that time of waiting. He says, listen, that's, that's who I am, and they can testify to it. And then he asks that central question that makes the difference. Look at verse 8 again. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Please understand, church, that the resurrection of Christ from the grave is the factor that must be addressed here. First of all, we need to understand that the resurrection provides hope. The resurrection provides hope. Is there anything that crushes hope more than death? Death is is the ultimate humiliator. It robs all hope and dignity, self-respect, and it steals promise. As Paul was defining the gospel to the church in Corinth in his letter, he said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he goes and he says, And he appeared to, and he lists all the people that he appeared to. You see, the resurrection provides hope in the face of that which is the most hopeless. Colin Smith said it this way. He said, the message of Easter is not that Jesus is alive. It's so much more than that. The message of Easter is that Jesus has risen. If God is unable to raise the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he said, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If Christ has not been raised, you have no reason to be here this morning. You should have slept in. And and by the way, it'll be up to you to meet all the unrelenting demands of God's law, to seek a holiness that you are woefully unable to attain on your own. Andrew Murray put it this way, a dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. 
So Paul hits them with that issue, that question asking, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Why should that be a surprise? Look with me now at verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. What he's doing, he's saying, listen, I, I was where you are. I didn't believe either. I fought against this movement. I locked them up. I punished them. Look at verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to D Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king... I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul here is sharing his own turning point, his moment of encountering Christ personally, that famous encounter on the road to Damascus. And no one could convince Paul or those with him that this was some ordinary happening. Paul knew that he had encountered the living Christ. And he'd encountered him personally. And now Paul's defending himself before Agrippa, and he's, he's clarifying that God gave him this commission to do what he's doing. He said that Christ said to appoint you as a servant to do exactly what he'd been doing, Right? sending you as a witness to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified or set apart as holy through faith in Christ. And Paul declares that, listen, I've been carrying that out. Look at verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, to pass that Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both, both to our people and to 
the Gentiles. I don't know about you, but I love it when evidence supports a claim. Could be a simple debate that, that is won just because irrefutable proof is given. And maybe your uh, March Madness uh, bracket held up. A sports prediction came out t- to be true. By the way, it's, it's better if you just fill in the things afterwards. It works perfectly. But basic facts just support a claim. And here Paul is standing humbly before Agrippa and Bernice, who according to the previous chapter, had entered the room with, with great pomp. The, the Greek word is phantasia. It's, it's, it's where we get the word fantasy. They, they came into the room with great pageantry and they were honored. And ironically, Paul, the great missionary, used mightily by God, stands before them as a lowly prisoner in chains before this celebrated king and his sister who were messed up at best. How ironic. But Paul's very location and his current circumstance served as evidence that he had been faithful to the commission he had received from the Lord on the road that day. He declared in Damascus and in Jerusalem and all over Judea to Jew and to Gentile, calling them to repent and turn to God, to live accordingly. Because, why? The resurrection provides hope. And secondly, the resurrection is the fulfillment of God's promise. He makes a huge statement. I testify that what Moses and the prophets have said has come to pass. That Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. It's a massive statement. He's saying, look, look, this is the reality that was promised in the Old Testament centuries earlier. Paul here is expressing the reality that God keeps his word. J.I. Packer writes, Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. Why? Because God keeps his word. The resurrection is a fulfillment of God's promise. Back in verse 6, we read, I stand here on trial for my hope in the promise made by God. He's saying, listen, people, this was always the plan. Why do you struggle to understand that? Look at the final portion of our text. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I'm speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in the corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? 
And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. The reaction of Festus. You're crazy. You've lost it. All that you speak is craziness. The reaction from Agrippa. You expect me to believe so quickly. I need more time. I've got to process this. Can I I just make an important side note here? The gospel is not changed by one's response to it. What you choose to believe or not believe about the gospel does not change the reality and the truth of the gospel. And the reaction of Festus that this was craziness was not a new one. We remember back in Acts chapter 2, a similar reaction. Remember after Pentecost, a spirit-empowered proclamation of the gospel, and they're hearing it in their own native tongues in these languages, and and some are, are led to respond by saying they're drunk. This is nonsense. They're filled with new wine. To which Peter replies, it's early in the morning. This has nothing to do with wine, right? But then notice what Peter said to them in verse 22 of Acts 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter called on them to repent and be baptized after that. He said, listen, you've got to turn away. You've got to, from your life, you've got to turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the resurrection provides hope. It is the fulfillment of God's promise, and the resurrection calls us to repentance. The truth of of Easter, of the empty tomb, should lead us to repent, to turn to God, that we turn from darkness to light, from confusion to clarity, from the power of Satan to God. And the why is right in the text that you may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. Sanctified is set apart as holy. That you may receive forgiveness and that you may be set apart as God's holy ones by faith in Christ. So the question, I guess, remains the same, doesn't it? Is the resurrection of Jesus just craziness? Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, he said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Is this craziness? You know, I suppose on one level it is. 
If you were here Friday night, you heard Pastor Wade teach on Romans 5, and he highlighted on the, the, the verse, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is craziness. The God would send his son who would leave his side, who would take on flesh, who, who would live as a servant, who would die on a cross and rise again. For me, a sinner. For you, a sinner. That's craziness. But the empty tomb is not crazy for an all-powerful God. Maybe you're here and you remain undecided or maybe you're still thinking this is, this is crazy or maybe you want more time, can I encourage you to delay no longer and call on the Lord? Ask God to make himself known to you. Maybe you just pause in recognition of your own sinfulness, your own unworthiness to, to ever come to God's presence apart from the righteousness of Christ given to us by faith. Maybe today is that day where you say, I turn from my sinful ways and I recognize my need for a Savior. And I recognize that, that yes, he rose from the grave, but the text says that he's the first to rise, the first fruits, and we in Christ will as well. Would you join me in prayer? If you've never made things right with Jesus, maybe the time is now to just call on the Lord and say, Lord, would you forgive me for my sins? I believe that your son came and died, paid the penalty for my sins and rose again in victory and that he invites me to be your child by faith. And you say, Jesus, would you be my savior? Would you forgive me? I want to be a child of God. Father, we just pause and we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the wonderful message of the cross. And for those here who understand that this is not craziness, but it's the best truth could, that could ever be known, we're just humbled and we're thankful and we're filled with praise for the very name of Jesus, our Savior. And we honor his name today. We praise his name because he lives. Father, be glorified in our hearts, in our lives, in the words of these songs. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.